Hi, everyone. Welcome to um, Useful Idiots, Calling Useful Idiots, Calling All Useful Idiots, the call-in show for useful idiots. I'm Katie Halper, one of your hosts. Uh, can you guys hear me? I keep saying tap the mic icon to unmute and speak, but I think I'm speaking. Can you guys hear me? Can someone write in the comments? I think. Okay, good. I got a, I got a thumbs up, so I'm going to assume that means yes. This is the show we do after our Monday morning streams on YouTube, which you can find at youtube.com slash usefulidiots. Also, please subscribe to us at usefulidiots.substack.com. Please share this. Tweet out that you're uh, doing this cool on this cool call-in. All right. Aaron, welcome. Let's take the first caller, shall we? Steve. Steve, you just have to unmute by hitting the mic icon. Um, all right, Steve. Uh, okay, Fern. Hey, good morning. Hey, um, good morning. Calling in about the media fails, speaking of media fails, Aaron just went to that collision conference in Canada or Toronto, and uh, the last statements were pretty <laughs> great, and uh, pretty much the whole conversation was great. You guys should review that. I don't know if you guys saw that this morning, but speaking on that, um, did you, Aaron, did you have any like uh, special interactions with media people? You said that big media companies were there, big heads after the talk? I saw some people who, you know, I don't really respect and they don't really like me. And it was a bit awkward. We exchanged some icy looks, <laughs> but uh, otherwise we just got bad looks from people. There was uh, some news executives speaking right after, speaking right after us and around uh, from, ABC News and I think a few other places, and they gave us just some really bad looks. And um, there was a broadcast journalist, a well-known one named Ann Curry, who did not like our speech from her body language. But yeah, no one. I didn't. We didn't have any interactions beyond that. It was just, it was just awkward. <laughs> it was just awkward all around. And for people who don't know what we're talking about, Max Blumenthal and I recently spoke at this tech conference in Toronto called Collision. And there was a whole bunch of corporate media that people there speaking on these panels and they're talking about, you know, how to deal with this information, similar to what Katie and I were just talking about on Monday morning. And what Max and I pointed out is that the corporate media itself is the biggest purveyor of disinformation. And they're the ones who are actually partisan activists on behalf of the war machine and corporations. And they didn't take too kindly to that, but uh, it was cool. It was great that we got to go there and spread that message. And the video is up now at the Gray Zone's YouTube page for those who... One last thing. You, you guys, like, shouted out Cy Hirsch. Was he there by any chance? Cy <laughs> was not there. No. No. Oh. No. See? No. Yeah, I think Max I think Max mentioned Cy. Yeah, no, Cy was, Cy was not there. No. Thanks for the question. Bye-bye. Yeah, thanks for the call. Okay. And... I'm sighing that Cy wasn't there. He should have been there. <laughs> All right. John. Uh, hi, guys. Hi. Hi there. Uh, there seems to be something new in the interface. I just got a pop-up that said unmute, so that made it nice. That's cool. Okay, good. Um, yeah, uh, well, I, 
I really wanted to hear some name dropping and, and, uh, I'm satisfied already. Um, but, um, I, my question is, uh, Aaron, you and I talked about, um, the, uh, uh, lots of other issues, but the one that's coming to my mind now is like they're ignoring Ukraine now. And what I'm seeing more and more is this, um, defeatism, subtle defeatism being, you know, plastered over every, uh, major news media that I'm looking at, uh, this, this idea that the Democrats just can't win, uh, the midterms, uh, because of all the awful things they're doing and so forth. And yet the, uh, Roe v. Wade, uh, decision should be electrifying the turnout. And this is just never mentioned in this context. So I'm, especially Katie seems a little more partisan on this issue. Uh, what you guys think? Thanks, guys. What do you say, partisan Katie? Uh, let's see. I'm 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 actually post-partisan. <laughs> I have a post-partisan depression about the Roe v. Wade uh, decision. Um, I'm kind of confused as to what the question is, though. Uh. It's, it's, Are you noticing this defeatism that's being presented on all of these shows? Like every time they talk oh. about the midterms. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely what, where there's a really interesting level of defeatism. Is it's this weird congrat? It's almost like a an exonerating, exculpatory defeatism that we see the media, um, with some exceptions, but saying like, oh, what else can, can Biden do? We actually talked about this on my on the Katie Helper show last week, but these pathetic clips of Morning Joe with Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski being like, what do these people want from Biden? And, and we see the same thing on CNN, mad at AOC for making, for actually, you know, making demands or encouraging action. So yeah, it's this myth of, myth of the, the democratic myth of the tied hands that are not actually tied. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Even even the Bernie clip sort of demonstrated it to a degree. Um, yeah. Instead of hammering on the Republicans, they, you know, switched gears to talk about, you know, a mansion. I think this whole mansion thing, it's so disgustingly obvious that, you know, um, they keep talking about him instead of the, you know, 50 Republicans who are also doing the same thing. So. Right. But in theory, they should expect in theory, they have some control. I mean, in, you know, it's kind of more of a, a, a ridiculous thing when it shouldn't be coming from a Democrat, but he is the rotating villain. And of course, Biden could use his significant power to twist his arm, which he's not. Yeah. I just think he's the, the yeah. Pat's fall guy and he's taking it to the banks. Right. He doesn't care. All right. Thank you guys. Thanks yeah. so much. Thank you. All righty. Um, let's see. Uh, Amanda. Good morning. Good morning. So I have just a interesting out-of-the-box suggestion. It You know, all of the elections are run by the states. Turns out the state of Vermont, you can file to run in November for the Senate or representative seats that are open until August 4th. That's almost two and a half weeks. It's possible 
somebody could run against Bernie in November. And just as kind of similarly to how he used the platform of running for president to raise issues, maybe it would be some way to push Bernie a little bit more to the left or to, to keep some of the commitments that, that he made when he was running for president that so much of the country would like to see happen. It's, it's just a thought. It's the only state where you could still file to run in November for a seat in Congress. So I, I just throw that out there and maybe somebody will do something with it in the next two and a half weeks before the filing deadline. Hmm. I mean, All I right. like Bernie, but pressuring it, that's one way to pressure an elected official is to run somebody against him, right? Right. Even yeah, if but it, to be even fair, if it seems like he's going to win, right? Yeah. He has like a 90% approval rating, so I don't know if it would be effective. But it, but it would raise the visibility of any issue that, that was raised in that race because he has such big visibility. Right. I'm not saying it, would, I'm not saying it necessarily would work. It's an out-of-the-box idea that I just yeah. thought of while I was watching the show this morning and you mentioned it. So I appreciate you guys and what you do. Your analysis is very, very helpful for getting through some of those difficult on the Brian Stelzer, I think it's good that he, I think one of the ways that you inoculate people against propaganda affecting them is to point out what's propaganda and how to recognize it and what, what the propaganda is trying to do. And, and so I think it's good that he's putting that out there, but it's also at the same time bad because he's like implying that, see, we're telling you what propaganda is. So we're not okay. doing it to you. So you can just assume we're safe because we're telling you what other what disinformation is. So we must not be doing it, right? That's the right. Im implication. Right. Totally Thank agree. you. I hope you guys have a great week. Thanks you too. Okay, Scott. Hmm, hold on. Scott, let's see why isn't this taking the next call? Hello. Oh, great. Okay. I see hey, Scott. There we go. Sorry, I had Thank a hard you. time finding the uh, mute button first time on here. Uh, oh, I'm welcome. just calling to give you guys some fan love. Just want to call up and tell you how much uh, we enjoy Monday morning and um, Useful Idiots both. Uh, big fans of both you guys, uh, all your work. And, uh, just wanted to let you know that. Uh, no, <laughs> yeah, no, no, no questions or, or anything to add. Really, just uh, wanted to say, uh, great job, great show, and uh, keep up the good work. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. Um, we are totally always open. nice to hear some. Yeah. Always nice to hear some positive comments. Yeah, it's great. We love you it. Know, in a world of hate. In a world of hate. Yeah. 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 Um, it looks like we're, people are just so full of love that they don't even have any more questions. <laughs> they're floored. They're speechless. They're floored. They're speechless. They all, they, what, what was just said just resonates so much with them. Um, well, we can talk about things. I mean, we got some, oh, oh, Charles. We got Charles. Hi, Charles. Charles, unmute yourself, please. 
Can yeah, we could for a second. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Thank you. All right, hold on. So I had a question. Um, I was watching on Netflix. It was a documentary regarding the Seth Rich conspiracy and how it related to the Julian Assange. And I thought since you didn't have anybody else on the call, and do you guys have an opinion on that? Basically, Julian Assange they actually showed him being interviewed, and he was kind of inferring that Seth Rich was his source for the uh, for the DNC emails. Yeah, look, uh, so Julian Assange did make some suggestive comments where he he kind of hinted that Seth Rich might have been involved somehow because he he mentioned the fact that Seth Rich was killed in the context of WikiLeaks being worried about potential threats to its potential sources. And then after he said that, he clarified that he was not saying that Seth Rich was the source. Yeah, people were upset at him for that. And uh, look, if Seth Rich was not the source, then I think that was irresponsible of Julian to do back then. This was in 2016. And I'd love to hear Julian explain what he was talking about. But the problem is he's being caged right now. and He can't speak to the world. So, but look, at the same time, we don't know who gave those emails to WikiLeaks. And Assange was making the point that that's what, that's the point that Assange was was making. Uh, he was saying that basically everyone's saying it's Russia, but actually he was saying it's not Russia, and people don't know who it is. And now, because Seth Rich was killed, he was trying to make a point about the general harm that WikiLeaks sources face. But yeah, if Seth Rich indeed was not the source, and I have no idea who the source was, that's the whole point of this whole Russiagate thing, is we actually have no idea who gave those emails to WikiLeaks. Well, that's the point I'm trying to make, too. It was, it was yeah. an inside job. It wasn't, because, like, I, I watched, like, the, the Bill Binney, Jimmy, Jimmy Dore um, interviews, and basically he's, like, a code-cracking expert, and basically the, the file format and stuff like that, and there was so much information, all information over the Internet's tracked, and so basically it couldn't have been a Russia hacked it, and plus there's just so much volume of information that it, basically he was, saying it was an insider. Yeah, it might not have been Seth Rich, but it was probably some insider. Yeah, I have no idea who who the source is. What I do think is that the allegation that it was Russia has been, is without any evidence, and all the available evidence undermines it. And obviously, I've written about this a lot for the last, you know, oh, no, uh, six no, years. But, no, I just, but I just don't, but I don't even know. I can't even say for sure that it was an insider I don't know. Uh, I, I just don't see, like, I, all I know is the allegation that it was Russia. That is at this point without merit. It is. No, I, to, I, I totally agree with that. And I followed you even back when you interviewed the guy that wrote that book and, and he couldn't even defend himself when you, when you were on the, when you were on the real news network, I, I yeah. saw that interview. Yeah, that was funny. <laughs> that was funny. That who, was who, was the, funny. Yeah. who was the guy that died during the Clinton campaign in 92? Was that Vince, Vince Foster? Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. You know, him, yeah. Seth Rich. No, that's yeah. no, conspiracy. But, yeah. Kind of, but yeah, but that's that's the only reason I called. I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, I've been following both of you for a long time, and really like your work and big fan. I'll, well, thanks. And I'll just say right now. So when people talk about Seth Rich, that is deemed a conspiracy theory, and it might be. You know, I don't see any evidence so far that Seth Rich was the source. I should make that clear. There's a lot of speculation, but there's no evidence at all that it was Seth Rich. There's none. Zero. Um, and I think that's really important to stress. But to say, to dismiss that as a conspiracy theory, and meanwhile to treat the claim that Russia stole the emails as somehow a fact and not 
an equally uh, dubious conspiracy theory is a mistake because there's just as much evidence that Russia stole the emails as there is evidence that, that Seth Rich stole the emails. And by which yeah. I mean, there's no evidence also. So they're actually, yeah. they're actually equal. Yeah, yeah, you're right. They're inconsistent. And, um, Yes, Seth Rich. Yeah, you don't you don't know either. But basically, yeah, with Seth Rich, I agree. There's no evidence. But but the DNC is very corrupt. So who knows? That's that's another point I was trying to make. Well, yeah, I mean that's the whole point. I mean we don't know who the source is, and it'd be great if one day Assange. I mean Assange has said he will not re- re- reveal his sources, and he's really stuck to that to the point where Trump offered him apparently a deal that if he gave up his source, he he would get a pardon, and Assange wouldn't do it because WikiLeaks has this ethos where they don't give up their sources yeah they have and integrity so, yeah they do and so but it's for assange it's been a nightmare as a result having and integrity the, having integrity and how the D, yeah and how the dnc and how the dnc wouldn't give up their servers that's kind of suspect there too well again i've written about this so much and it's funny now we don't even talk about it anymore because it's the world has moved on and we should but for right. a time this was such a huge story this idea that russia stole these emails and this was presented as an attack on democracy and all this stuff, but yes, there's so much wrong with the allegation that I've written about extensively. And yes, the DNC refusing to give up its servers and relying on a Clinton contractor instead, CrowdStrike, to do this so-called investigation. It just raises so many red flags. Yeah, because again, I was just there's a six-part documentary series, like I think it's called Web of Lies, and that was one of the series was about the the Seth Rich thing, and I was just thinking of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for the call. Thank you. And thanks for inspiring a, a renewed queue, a phone yeah, queue. So we have callers here. So thank you, Charles. You're a pioneer. You Jim, are. You're a trendsetter. Hey, can you guys hear me? Yes. Yeah. Okay, cool. So I, uh, I emailed uh, the great Zen master Noam Chomsky with this question, and he basically gave me a two-word answer. And I was wondering, um, how do you know as a journalist what is real and what actually happened, right? Because after the Goldstone report, human rights reports can be politically motivated, right? I mean, like, I don't have to tell you the lies that exist in the media. Like, how do you know when you're making a story what's reliable and what actually happened? What did Chomsky tell you? Hard work. Okay, yes, yes there you go. There you go. I mean... Look, you'll never, I mean, if you want to get really kind of, uh, you know, deep into it, you'll never really know the actual truth unless you're right there to see it or unless you have overwhelming video evidence. You have to use your best judgment. And usually it's, uh, it's difficult. There's a lot of propaganda to, to wade through and it's hard, but use your best judgment. And that involves, you know, verifiable evidence you can verify and uncontested facts and just logic when you're conducting an investigation what is sort of your litmus when you figure out okay this is what probably happened uh i mean it i mean there just has to be a there has to be a certain level of evidence that can lead to a reasonable conclusion you know it's like uh you know if someone told you that space aliens visited your block the other night you'd 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 have a certain set of criteria and standards that you need to be able to weigh in on that conclusion right right of of course i gotta double check my source with a couple other sources right yeah a couple of aliens yeah Yeah. exactly yeah like for example in the case of the opcw story in duma Mm. you know uh there's been all these claims The, the the original investigators went to duma they wrote up a report 
And if you look at how it's just, if you look at how people try to rebut it, they don't actually try to rebut the findings that were censored. They try to come up with side issues. Like they try to claim that the inspectors weren't really, didn't have much authority. They played minor roles. They try to avoid the actual issue, which is whether or not there's evidence for a chemical weapons attack, whether or not it was censored. So, you know, just look at whether or not the actual substantive issues are being addressed. And that will give you a good window into whether or not you can form a reasonable conclusion. Right. And that I think that case is a, is a little bit easier because you're basically going off of actual facts, right? It's not like you have to, like, discover where the lie is. It's pretty blatant in front of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Katie, I was wondering what your take on this is, too. Hard work, good judgment. I'm, a, I, I'm trying to fi- figure out two words for myself. You're asking for the, the what what the sign what the litmus test is? Yeah. I mean, one thing I think is that's helpful to look at is whether people who are writing about this stuff have like ideological ulterior ideological motives. Right. Right. And, and who they're working for, right? Like yeah. what, what Manhattan Institute they, they work at, right? Yeah. yeah. That's like the, that's like the cheat mode, right? Where you're like, okay, I really don't have to listen to anything Max Boot says. You want to listen, but you listen with, with through that lens. I mean, I, I guess maybe to be fair, you don't like dismiss out of hand anything that's said, but you can follow up. I mean, that's what makes media criticism so hard because you do have to do a lot of legwork because you have to investigate the claims that are being made and if a lot of media repeats it then it makes it look like it's it's the truth also i feel like for leftists more than any anyone else whenever we make a single mistake in the media that's like held against us for the rest of our lives right like media personalities make mistakes every day but like we have to try so hard to remain like factually just a hundred percent on top of it. Otherwise people will bring it up. Right. Right. Um, okay. Well, that was pretty much my only question I was curious about. Thank you so much uh, for answering. I'm a huge fan of you both. Thank you. Thank you. Jimmy. All right. Have a good one. Too. You too. Okay. Zachary. Hey guys, you hear me? Yeah. Perfect. Uh, first time caller, Bob, big fans. Uh, had a question. I was, I'll listen to your morning, morning show talking about Saudi Arabia and Jamal Khashoggi. Um, I listened to a uh, podcast with Ben Norton yesterday talking about, um, but, but oh, excuse me, Jamal Khashoggi and a lot of his connection to CIA. Um, and I'm blanking on what the country says that, uh, had kind of op-ed and kind of written a lot of his articles for him before he had released them was because he couldn't speak good English. Um, also, I was wondering, Aaron, um, do you and Ben still have kind of a working or friendly relationship after he left the gray zone? Um, so I just have a lot in one. Uh, that's what I got. Uh, well, I'm totally still friends with Ben. He, you know, just because professional relationships and it doesn't mean personal friendships do. And I think Ben does great work. And I actually just sent him a message uh, last night because I wanted to tell him something about it. I wanted to point out to him that I think is his channel is doing great and uh, he's attracting a big audience. So I'm very happy for him to see him doing his work on his own. You know, it's, um, it's great, but uh, no, we don't work together because uh, you know, he's got his own thing now. 
and uh, he's doing great on his own. Multipolarista, multipolarista. Yeah, that's right. Um, sorry, I think you kind of cut out the first part of there, so I kind of think I missed half of that. But um, did, did you did you speak on? Uh, his, did you see his reporting he did yesterday on Jamal Khashoggi at all? I did not see it. No, no. Okay. No. Um, have you have you seen any of those connections between him and like the CIA and um, back in the eighties when he was working? I've with, heard um, that. I mean, I've heard in that Afghan- in Afghanistan. Yeah, I've heard that being speculated. And again, it's worth saying about Jamal Khashoggi, he's described as a dissident, but really he was very in with the Saudi royal family. He supported, for example, the war on Yemen. And it's just right, the, Saudi, that's... the you know, MBS is so, um, or, or the Saudi royal family, where MBS and others are so extreme that even his mild criticism they couldn't tolerate. But really, he was on their side. And I think they killed Well, that's, him. that's kind of the point he makes is is that he was on the side. I don't remember who, who was the the um, the Saudi prince before him, but he was more in line with him before MBS took over, and that was kind of the reason. He was with the Saudi family, but kind of the dissident of MBS, and that's what got him killed. Well, that's interesting. I'll have to, I'll have to watch Ben's video. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty informative. It was... Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, Zach, thanks for the call. And uh, yeah, appreciate it, guys. Sorry for the this... uh, the mumble of words. I'm a little nervous. I appreciate appreciate taking my time. No, it's oh. okay. Thank you for we appreciate it. Thanks for calling. Yeah, thanks. Okay. Yep. Thank you, guys. Yep. And is thanks, this Zach. the same Charles from before? It looks like it is. So why don't we skip and come back? Yes. Okay. Jason. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I was just wondering your thoughts on if uh, Biden does decide to run again, and I guess all signs is that he will. Do you think anyone is going to get the uh, courage, I guess, to run against him, to to challenge him? Or do you think the DNC is going to lock that down for Biden? (laughs) I don't know. I'd be shocked, though, if he runs again. I'd really be shocked. I'd be, I'd be really, really surprised. And should somebody primary him if he does run? Absolutely. Absolutely. It'd be, a huge, it'd be a huge opportunity for them because they'd probably win. Nobody wants him to run. That was just made clear in a poll. And so if, like, Mayor Pete primaried him, I, I'm sure Mayor Pete would prevail. The only person I think would not win is, is Kamala, who is just not very popular yeah. for whatever reason. But, yeah, otherwise, it, it's a good opportunity for someone if they want to be the Democratic nominee. Uh, do you think that if a charismatic person started a third party or maybe joined the third party, I don't know, Andrew Yang's got this forward party. Uh, do you think a charismatic person in the third party could put a serious challenge to uh, either party? Absolutely. There's a huge opportunity for a third party candidate. Polls consistently show this. The problem is it's really hard to make it happen. It's really hard to make it happen. Whenever someone tries on the left to make it happen, there's always infighting and and then the left gets blamed if the Republicans win. It's, you know, like with Ralph Nader. But, you know, we need to get past that fear now because it's pretty clear that the Democratic Party is just irredeemably corrupt. And there's a huge opportunity to reach people. You know, Bernie was so close. 
and I hear it from all the time, you know, because I hear from Trump supporters pretty often because they followed my work because of Russiagate. So I've met a lot of people who I otherwise wouldn't have met because I was challenging Russiagate. And, you know, a lot of people tell me all the time that Bernie, I would have voted for Bernie because mm-hmm. Bernie at least acknowledged that Washington was corrupt and he talked about the working class. And so there's a big opportunity there. I, I, I just, it's obvious, but uh, someone needs to seize it, but it's very difficult. And the Democrats will make it very difficult for any opportunity to be seized. Katie's covered this on her show where, Katie, you interviewed Matthew Ho of the Green Party. Yeah. And what, did the, what did the Democratic Party do when he was trying to just run as a Green Party candidate? They they did all this shady stuff to get him disqualified, right? Yeah. Yeah, they pretended yeah. to be Green Party people, called people up to try to get them to renounce having signed a uh, petition to get him on the ballot. Then they just wouldn't let him. They just doubted, pushed back on the dismiss certain signatures without any reason. Yeah. I heard some of those audio clips. That was pretty egregious what they were doing. Yeah. Really ridiculous. All right. Well, thanks for your time and uh, answering my question. Of course, Marianne Williamson is a name that's been floated. She hasn't said anything about whether, like, one way or another, although she thinks that someone should be um, uh, primarying Biden. And a big... uh, I highly recommend people become Substack subscribers at usefullyaids.substack.com because we talk about this with Brianna Joy Gray and um, people give their kind of um, endorsements on, on who should run, who they'd endorse if they did run. I'm not going to say anything else because it's all in that, in that Substack only. <laughs> all right. How's that? For- <laughs> all right. Well, thanks again. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Thank you. Have a good day. Have a good day. Look at the okay. queue. The queue is blown up. Blowing up is John. Did we Jonathan? Who hasn't come in yet? Right? We haven't spoken no, to Jonathan. He's not, okay, no. Jonathan. Um. Okay. Hey, Jonathan. Just hit the mic button so you're unmuted. There the we mic go. icon. No, no, okay, great. You're there. Well, I, I called in before there was a blown up queue, but I just wanted to answer Jimmy's question. And there's, there's like an actual scientific, I guess, answer to the question of how you decide what's real. Because like you said, you're never certain. Like I haven't been to the far side of the moon. I don't know, like God knows what it looks like, you know. But there's still a way called like abductive reasoning, or I've heard it also called the inference to the best explanation to decide what, what's real because it explains away more things. Because you got your inductive reasoning, which is almost every idea you've ever had. And you got your deductive reasoning, which is on display in Sherlock Holmes or whatever. But then you have to combine the two to get that which explains away more things. Like I, I had a flat earther when I was substitute teaching one day, which means his parents were flat earthers. Right. right? So I told him, you're right to be skeptical. But you've got to be just as skeptical of your flat theory as of the other one. So what makes it a better explanation? And then we had, you know, one kid spin in circles, another one walk around them, and then both walk around a third one because that's like the, the earth, the moon, and the sun. It's like, so the ancient people needed a thousand, thousand stories about Zeus and the lightning and the meter and the seasons and God and the rainbow or whatever. But I can do it all with one story. It's not even a story. It's more of just a picture. And I can explain away days, months, years, seasons, ice caps, trade winds, tides, celestial navigation, like everything with one picture. And that's what makes it make sense. And so in the, to 
sort of a, a really choppy segue to Ukraine or whatever, foreign policy in general. What explains that everything you see away is just this Caesar's divide and conquer. And if you want to keep people fighting each other, you always arm whoever's losing, which is easy to justify because you stand a camera crew over, you wow. point it at who is losing, and it's horrific because they're losing. And so you give them guns. But what you never do is allow the conflict to end. So it's, it's weirdly amoral or even immoral to stop the process because you had to let someone lose. Otherwise, because my little brother was in Iraq circa 2005 or whatever. Wow. But how many times did they arm the other side? They kept flip-flopping who they were giving guns to because there was whoever's losing. Mm. You don't let it happen. Sunni, then Shia, and then Sunni again. Back and forth, back and forth. Because if you keep them at each other's throats. Because what did Adolf Reed say about um, uh, Jim Crow? It exists to drive a wedge between the groups so that there's no solidarity. Because what happens when black and white people barbecue and play baseball together is the cost of labor goes up. Mm. You, you, right. have to, you have to split them in two. You, know, you find somebody's cousin who's willing to sell out their whole country. You make him the king as long as he accepts your price point for exports. And that's it. I know that you guys already know that the war is just a handout to arms manufacturers and bankers. But it's you combine that with just old Caesarian wisdom about divide and conquer, and it's, that's how you know what do you believe? The thing that explains everything else. Yeah, you know, it reminds me of uh, first of all, thanks for all those great insights, Jonathan. Yeah. I really appreciate sharing your uh, knowledge with us, and it's a good way to think about how to arrive to conclusions. So thank you for that. Um, yeah. There was a during the Syria Dirty War, there was an Israeli official who said the best solution is for everyone just to kill each other and we're going to sit back and watch that's wow. a solution yeah um that and and they they made a plan and so that's that's what the u.s and its allies excel at doing they're really good at that but that's it publicly intentionally or was that like a hot mic or it was said openly in um that's so israeli even yeah. donald trump said you got to let him fight it out sometimes like he was talking about teenagers in a fight you know yeah yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to actually find the quote, but it was, it was, it was in a U.S. it was in the wall street journal or something or New York times. But anyway, but they made it very, very plain that that's what the, um, that's the goal was. And they, you know, they succeeded. If I could do one more awful segue into the last caller's point about like the third party, the people at real vision who they, uh, said it's the best environment for a third party since Ralph, Ralph Nader. And it, what, but all you need to do is you have to have a broad base appeal. Like you need a green libertarian party. And if that sounds intractable, I can tell you it's not. Cause I said this on Brianna's uh, call in the other day about who voted for Bernie in New Hampshire and who didn't show up in here in Iowa. You know, it's fewer people voted for Donald Trump than Mitt Romney. Fewer. It's not the case that turned out in droves for love of Donald Trump. It's the people to whom you need to speak directly on issues that they care about to get them to show up at all. Those people are libertarian adjacent or ex-libertarian men like me who are very issue oriented and you're never going to show up for a corporatist imperialist identitarian like Hillary Clinton, which doesn't mean that you're going to show up for the other guy, but to diagnose it as people flip flopped from Obama to Trump is a little, you're missing the mark a little bit there. Uh. So if you get a platform that gives a little bit of something to the libertarian and not all libertarians like me, I'm not stuck in 2012 with my Ron Paul sign 
I'd never heard the word neoliberalism back then. I had never heard of monetary, modern monetary theory back then. I did, I've learned some things since 2012. And now you and I have a shit ton of common ground, like wealth tax, Medicare for all, other things that fall under the auspices of a Green New Deal. I still want to end the Fed. <laughs> yeah. Like most people don't know the difference between monetary policy and fiscal policy. Right. And shit. I mean, what do I do about that? None of us here are going to do anything about that. It's I know we're never going to be more than 1% of the population that really grasps it, not in the next four years. Yeah. But we, the people who know, know, and they will, there's between three and 10 million of me out there. Mm. And they're just, you just reach over and pick them up right off the ground. They're free. Just grab them. <laughs> Jonathan, thanks a lot for the call. We're going to move on because we have a long queue, but we appreciate it. And just let me read the quote because I found it. So this is Alan Pincus, who's a former Israeli consul general in New York. And this is him to the New York Times in 2013. He says, this is a playoff situation in which you need both teams to lose, but at least you don't want one to win. We'll settle for a tie. Let them both bleed, hemorrhage to death. That's the that's the strategic thinking here. He's talking about how Israel views the proxy war in Syria. So let them both bleed and hemorrhage to death. A really honest way to put it. Yeah. And evil. Okay. Our friend Nick from RBN is here. Hey, Nick. Hold on. Hey, my friends. Hey, Katie. Hey, Aaron. <laughs> I wanted, uh, excuse me, sorry. I wanted uh, uh, to get you guys' thoughts on Biden's uh, shameless trip to Saudi Arabia. I I thought it was actually pretty funny because in order to save face, because during the campaign, Biden was pretending that he was going to stand up to Saudi Arabia, uh, despite the fact that Trump was a Saudi puppet. But now that he's president, his foreign policy is, is essentially the exact same as Donald Trump and uh, he was he, he was there where he was he was trying to call out Saudi Arabia for uh, Khashoggi and then Saudi Arabia was essentially like yeah that's my bad we sorry we sorry about that but uh, you remember Abu Grave and the the citizens you guys sexually assaulted down there and tortured in Iraq do you guys remember Shireen Abdul Akla so I thought that was funny, and I would love to get your guys' thoughts on Biden's trip to Saudi Arabia because it shows why like, you can't have a rules-based order based on hypocrisy. Right. Even when you go to a place like Saudi Arabia, which is among the worst of the worst, they can just pull up the receipts. They say, hey, this you? The media avoided <laughs> reporting that, but that's literally what they did when Biden brought up Khashoggi. So uh, I just want to get your guys' thoughts on that. They all, yeah, they also brought up Shireen Abdul-Akla and the U.S.'s role in covering up her murder. Because that's essentially what they did. Every time Israel kills and murders journalists, the U.S. said we're going to have an independent, thorough investigation. And then they launched the investigation and they say, yeah, the Israeli forces killed Shireen. But there's no way we can tell their intent. That's how right. they always do it. We, we, can, we don't know they meant to kill her. It's just a, a tragic happenstance. So um, I, I, I would love you guys thoughts on that and now get out of here. Yeah, we talked about this a bit today on Monday morning. It's uh, it speaks to how corrupt our government is that even when Biden explicitly says, I'm going to make Saudi Arabia a pariah because the U S is so intertwined with dictatorships like Saudi Arabia. And especially because Biden needs Saudi Arabia more now because of his debacle in Ukraine, 
that all the things he said and all the angry pronouncements they made about how Trump was coddling Saudi Arabia, they just have to abandon that. Just They turn on a dime with no shame, as you say. And uh, yeah, look, it's a fair point. MBS said, as, as you said, to Biden, you know, where's your outrage about Shireen Abu Akhle as you're talking about Khashoggi? And he's right. So that's how, that's how corrupt Biden is and our government is, that even someone like MBS can score points. <laughs> you know, but they can make good points. Yeah, we have the moral high ground over nobody. 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 Caitlin Johnstone has a good article about this recently where it's like, where she says like something like Biden's fist bump with MBS is an affront to the good name of Saudi Arabia. Right. <laughs> you know? How much, how much do you think this, and this is kind of a question I just thought of, of now, how much of, do you think Biden groveling to Saudi Arabia has to do with this new, uh, well, not new, like they actively waging this cold war against Russia and China, the proxy war. How much, what's your opinion on that, Aaron, Katie? Oh, big time. Because they cut off Russia and yeah. they want to cut off Russia even more, they need the energy from somewhere. And they've also cut off Venezuela, which is another huge source that they can't go to and they don't want to because they want to, again, continue the Trump policy of regime change. So they're going to Saudi Arabia, but Saudi Arabia actually can't really help them, at least according to what's come out so far. So they're in a major pickle. Yeah, they, it is really pathetic um, watching them grovel without even getting the results. A fist bump for nothing. Mm. Yeah, and they essentially took and they essentially told Biden to to pound sand too. Um, so I, I've been enjoying uh, watching the U.S. hegemony lose its influence. Uh, you had Zelensky go to Africa. Only like four out of fifty five African countries showed up. Uh, a lot of uh, the South American countries are rejecting uh, the U.S. influence. So I think that's probably that, that's probably the most important story that's going on right now. Probably one of the most significant developments in global geopolitical politics since the fall of the Soviet Union, right? So um, I always love your coverage on that. That's, that's why I wanted to hear your thoughts on that. So uh, that's all I have. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Nick. Okay. All right. Rachel. Hi, Rachel. Just un- unmute yourself by hitting the mic. All right. While we're waiting, let me just say, if you're looking for more leftist content online, Nick's outlet, Revolutionary Blackout yes. Network, is a great source. I really recommend it if you don't know oh. it already. Oh. Okay, Rachel, there you are. Hey, uh, sorry about that. I, that I'm, I'm just the first time I've ever used this app, so I'm still learning. Um, yeah, I just wanted to ask y'all's thoughts, like just um, how the media is really not um, explaining just how reckless our proxy war is um, to the American people. Like, I'm, I'm actually shocked. Like, we haven't had missiles, you know, attacking us in retaliation because I just try to uh you know kind of flip the script if 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 we were doing this you know on the southern border and Russian missiles were being launched like across our border you know like the United States would have already like launched missiles at Russia so I'm just I'm I just wanted to get your thoughts on just how nonchalant it seems like the the 
the leaders are of the risk that they are um, like putting us in and just the aggressiveness of um, especially like the State Department. I don't know if y'all saw this, the U- the U.S. Embassy in India um, sent a threatening letter to the M- Mumbai port to stop accepting Russian ships like totally bypassing the Indian government and the port contacted the, the Indian government to say, Hey, are we supposed to comply with this? And it caused like a huge controversy. Like that's the level of recklessness and just uh, craziness that's going on. And I feel like nobody's paying attention. So I just wanted to get y'all's thoughts on that. Well, we're in a totally dangerous moment where the U S and Russia are not only in conflict militarily, but they're also, meanwhile, not talking on all the vital issues they need to talk about. For example, reducing nuclear weapons and containing the threat of nuclear weapons. They're not even. Yeah, and I see, that, I see that as like an like an un, like a almost criminal. Like yeah. if our head diplomat is not doing his basic job, why are we not demanding that he be thrown out? Like I feel like. I really wish people like I live in Tennessee, so I'm in a red warmongering state, but I still call and bug the you know what out of my my representatives or their aides in their office. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know if y'all even pass this message along, but I just I'm, I just tell them like, you know, like, what are you doing? Like, you're being so reckless and you're not. Expl- I mean, how are you? You're not even explaining it to, ten- you know, the people in Tennessee, like what what da- what, what kind of danger you're putting us in. Yeah. Um, and playing a Russian roulette with nuclear weapon, nuclear war. It's yeah. unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's so reckless. It's so reckless. Yeah. But it's also not surprising, I guess I would say, sadly. No, it's not. But I feel like, you know, of course, you know, I could, I could easily be like, why even bother calling Marsha Blackburn? Who's, a, right. I mean, just an insane warmonger. But yeah. I, I still call their offices and their poor <laughs> like interns and I just like, I don't know, write this down, but this is my message. Like, you need to really stop uh, fueling a proxy war in my name mm. because I don't want to die for Ukraine. And uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to I don't want to die for I mean, I, I'm sorry. No, I hate nuclear weapons. But I mean, it's just like I, I really hope like, uh, you know, more people can really just pay attention and just realize we're we are we're not dealing with just a corrupt, incompetent group of degenerates in Washington we're dealing with really insane people in my opinion like I feel like I'm, I'm alone amongst crazy geopolitical maniacs that will stop at nothing I feel uh, like I don't know <laughs> amen I I totally agree I completely agree yeah, luckily totally. I mean you're not alone in this community right here of you yeah know, we got 300 people so you know there's at least 300 of us out there who thank God <laughs> <laughs> thanks for the call Rachel thank you Scooby is up next scooby snacks <laughs> great name yeah hi guys hi. um so my question is mostly directed towards katie my first questions are what is matt taibbi and Bodhi up to and what do you guys think of these latest heat records across europe in the death toll which has risen to like a thousand something because i talk to a lot of younger people and they are truly convinced that as individuals in American society with our hyper-capitalist ways of being that there's nothing we can do to change our future. 
every time I try to convince them that we do have power as people, um, they just seem to default to this idea that, you know, what can we really do as individuals? So I'm wondering what you guys think about that line of thinking. Oi. Well, I'll start with the Matt and Bodhi. I've seen Bodhi. Bodhi's with my parents right now. She's with my mom. Um, she looks great, though. I saw her a couple weeks ago. Um, I walked her a bit. I can't say I walked Matt. I haven't seen Matt as recently. He's plugging away at his book. So there's that. Um, and then in terms of the other question... I mean, as corny as it sounds, I just think we can't give up hope. We I can't. mean, like, with the state of the world and the wars that are happening, the inflation, I mean, Aaron, you could probably speak to this too. What can we do, really? Like, should we not be pessimistic or should we just keep organizing? Like, what can young people look forward to in the future? It's hard. It's hard to provide words of hope in a very bleak world. And uh, things were bleak to me even before the Ukraine crisis really escalated. But this is just this is just a new world. And uh, look, we don't know what's going to happen. So what we do know is only the what we only have control over is what we do to try to make a better world. It's the only thing we have control over. We have control over nothing else. We don't know what will happen. Even if we do our absolute best, everything we could possibly do, things still might be horrible. So, you know, there's nothing we can point to, I think, for hope beyond our own capacity to take action. And um, on the positive side, there is a growing awareness that this world is going in the wrong direction, that things are dangerous, that society doesn't work for regular people. It's geared towards the people who control society, the elite. And so there's that awareness, and that awareness is they're across all parties. The problem is people are pushed into blaming each other instead of the rulers. So we have to organize in a way that puts the focus on the real criminals and the real people responsible for our problems. And everybody has their own individual choice to make as to what they want to do to be involved in pushing for that, you know, and things can, everyone's got their own issues that they care more about. And, but if everyone does something that they feel passionate about, I think then that's, that's a path right there to making the world better. Thank you. I really love that. Um, lastly, what do you guys think of the leftist Twitch streamer, Hassan Piker? Uh, I don't know anything about Hassan except I know he bought a Porsche. That's right? true. That's the thing about him. He, he's a socialist who bought a Porsche. Is that, is, am I correct? That is correct. Yeah. So that's all I know. Thank you, guys. But I don't know. I don't have anything against him. He seems like a nice guy from, I don't know, I've, the video I saw of him in his Porsche, I think. He seemed like a nice guy, but but um, I don't, uh, yeah. It was a great video about, um, this was a while ago, but when Trump like shook Kim Jong-un's hand, he made a great video about how Republicans... Democrats freaked out about that, the way that Republicans freaked out when Obama said he would meet with him. Okay, well, <laughs> let's move on. Okay. And, uh, wow, we're almost at 300, so. Actually, we got to 300. So. We did? Okay, cool. Okay, so 
let's hear from Johnny GL. Johnny GL. Hey, can you guys hear me? Yeah. yeah. Oh, nice. Uh, hey, thanks for uh, you know the work you guys do. You guys always provide uh, you know some fun news commentary for us every week, and uh, and you know more substantive more substantive interviews later in the week. So, uh, I appreciate the uh, the mix of you know fun mockery combined with you know serious analysis that you guys bring uh, to the table. Um, I wanted to bring up something. I don't know how much you guys and it's an issue I don't fully understand, but. Um, for those who want to, uh, you know, we had one of the callers mention dividing and conquering, right? Uh, for those who are looking for opportunities to achieve change, I think there's a, a some kind of transition underway that maybe is being underappreciated, and I don't. It seems significant, but I'm not quite sure. Which is um, the change in the the conflict in Ukraine seems to have caused a massive economic dislocation in the European Union. Germany has recorded a trade deficit for the first time in years, and that just seems like you know it's in the business press. Is because there's often a tension between you know kind of foreign policy war hawks, um, you know what I mean, neocon types. And, you know, broader industry and business interests. And it's, I think this is a remarkable moment because for me, it looks like business interests in Germany, which are not centered around banks, pharmaceutical interest, uh, interests, although they are to some degree in pharmaceuticals, uh, and Wall Street and uh, the defense industry, so much as it's around the export, the, the big export uh, companies, right? It's, it's, it's industry in Germany, their their economic model is driven by the interests of, of industry. And this war has thrown them completely under the bus in a way I don't think I've seen uh, a country, you know, really get ratcheted the way German German industries. They're still able to export strongly, but their import costs are going up drastically. And I think this is an option. Because it's such a, it looks like it could be a potentially huge change. But also, we need to keep in mind that not every goes into Congress with the same. It goes into various. All know, right, Johnny. Sorry, I have to with the same your, agenda. Your sound right? was Industry cutting one. in and out too much. But uh, you make a lot of good points about Germany, and yes, its uh, economy is being sacrificed for the Ukraine proxy war. I just wrote about this in a new article I have on Substack called in Ukraine, a proxy war on the planet. And the point I'm making is that the U.S. is not only sacrificing Ukrainians, but pretty much everybody else, including its allies in Germany, Europe's most important economy, facing the prospect of energy rationing, especially next winter, which is just crazy. And of course, in Africa, it's even worse, where African countries have been struggling even more to import food and fertilizer because of the U.S. sanctions on, on Russia. So these are all big problems that, uh, again, there's very little pushback in Washington about, which is just crazy. In fact, there's no pushback in Washington beyond um, some members of the Republican Party. And Ro Khanna said something recently about how this is wreaking economic havoc, but that was it. He didn't say anything more than that. But maybe we'll hear more from him and other progressives, hopefully. All right. Daniel. And Daniel, if you're there, there's a microphone button in the bottom right to unmute yourself. Um, thank you. Hi. Um, 
Uh, I just had a couple of questions. One is, uh, I was wondering if you saw Ben Norton did a, uh, a really good video on uh, Saudi Arabia and uh, Jamal Shikoji, Shikoji's uh, relationship with the CIA. I was just wondering if you had caught that. And uh, my other question is, the Democratic Party has this thing called the superdelegate, which seems to really uh, make the Democratic primaries uh, undemocratic. And I was just wondering what your thoughts are on why lefties in America don't leave the Democratic Party and join the Republican Party and try and take over the Republican Party since they don't have this superdelegate concept, which seems to be um, uh, a way for, for like corporate dens to kind of hijack the election process. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> it's worth a shot, maybe, but... The problem is you do have a Republican Party that is committed to evil. I mean, that's what their leaders are across the spectrum. They're committed to evil and serving corporations even more obediently, I think, than Democrats are. At least with Democrats, you sometimes have some humanity on some basic issues like abortion or environmental regulations. Although, although I mean, I don't want to exaggerate the differences. They're, they're pretty similar. But... Yeah, I mean, um, I think personally the best bet is to try to form a third party. But, uh, yeah, look, I mean, the Republican Party has changed a little bit. Trump's Trump has changed things where there's the sense that people want a populist anti-establishment candidate, even though Trump wasn't actually a genuine one. Maybe if a genuine one came along, that could reach people. But the problem is it's also a party, I think, that is so far to the right that a leftist coming in would just not fly very well. That's my that's my sense. Was, who knows? Look, you know, who could have seen was, Trump coming? So who knows? I was more thinking that a lot of the lefties, like, I don't know, the 30 million lefties or the 100 million lefties in America could join the Republican Party just so they could vote in the primary and elect somebody that's more rational, I guess. Hmm. All right. Well, thanks for calling, Daniel. All right, Steve. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Hey, Aaron. Um, uh, guys, a long-time complainer, first-time caller. Um, so the mainstream media, I, I, I love you guys. I love the bit. But should we even be calling it the mainstream media? It's not mainstream anymore. It's far, far right, all of it. And because Nancy Pelosi, for instance, her Democratic Party is far, far right. And um, nobody watches it, but people like us, it's kind of weird. It's like we're giving it attention. Um, I, I've never been an accelerationist, but listening to people and just watching what's going on, I feel like the world is accelerating. We don't have to be accelerationists, that um, this society the civilization is falling. It's it's falling. And I heard some people say how it's scary. It's very scary. We have nuclear weapons. we got to figure out a way to get our hands on those, you guys, and disarm them. Uh, but if they don't use the nuclear weapons, is it such a bad thing that this horrible capitalist imperialist paradigm falls? 
I'll, I'll well, take my well, answer. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> first of all, Steve, I hope you weren't. I hope you weren't questioning the premise of Monday morning where you're saying that we're giving them a chance. Yeah, I was. Back then. Yeah. All right. So, so, so you're saying we shouldn't do the show. Okay. First, you guys, I love you. I lo- you're two of my favorites. People like you are what's keeping me from severe depression. But, but giving them, calling them mainstream, they're not mainstream, guys. Yeah, we you know exactly call what I'm talking cor- about. Corporate. We talk, we do. Yes. Yes. Call them corporate media. Yeah. Yes. But but here's my point. They've so, they've so marginalized themselves, just like the Democratic or Republican Party. Are we are we weirdly propping them up by even talking about them? Eh. No. I don't think so. I mean, they exist. Whether or not we like it, you got to know the media narratives. That's what people are being fed. So I I've always thought that media critique and media is a very important thing to do. Yes, but you're the media, Katie. What, what I'm trying to say is, let us have birth of the new media. The Katie, Aaron, Matt, Matt Taibbi, Max Blumenthal. Let, let's focus on our media, which isn't a bunch of shit, and kind of let theirs die. Well, that's what we're doing, Steve, because we're <laughs> cheering their demise by making fun of them. That's right. the whole point. Okay. Okay. I think you're getting too. I think I think you're overthinking this one personally. I, and, you know what? I may yeah. be overthinking this one. Yeah. Yeah. Thank, thank you, guys. Yeah. And uh, your latter question. Sorry, I forgot. I forgot. Uh, oh. Uh, uh, it, it's just the world. You know, the world is accelerating. There's no doubt about it. You know the the. the oh, got it. Yes, yes, yeah, yes, yes. This yes, is yes, all yes. gonna fall. So, this is all gonna fall. Sure. This is a bad. Thing. <laughs> well. Yes. Well, from your mouth to God's ears. Okay. From your mouth to God's ears. All right. Jack, you're next. Thank you, Steve, for the call. And sorry, we're going to move a little bit quicker so we can get to as many people as we can with the limited time we have left. So go ahead, Jack. Um, Hey, Aaron and Katie. It's great to uh, actually be able to talk to you. I've been following you both for a long time. I'm from the UK and I I've always seen a close alignment with um, U.S. politics and British politics in in various ways that we always seem to um, align with whatever the U.S. wants to do, you know, going into different countries and everything else. And I mean, I do have a lot of questions, but the question at the moment is um, where we've been having strikes um, in England. Um, the One of them is the, um, the train union, RMT. And the barristers are on strike as well. Um, with, with the RMT, they are uh, appearing on TV, Mick Lynch and Eddie Dempsey, and both have been pushing back on the on the media in our country, who I think is more um, kind of state-aligned than actually it is in the US. Um, I'd just like to ask if you'd, if you've heard about these guys um, on TV, how popular they are, amongst the um the public and um other thoughts you've got on the current um with i mean with ukraine going on at the moment and our country again sending money over there while we also are in in a cost of living crisis it would just just be great to hear your thoughts on that is one of them the guy who was interviewed um outside a picket line and the anchor the british anchor was very hostile towards him 
Yeah, that's Mick. They're, they're all hostile. I mean, uh, Mick Lynch is one. That, that was Mick Lynch. Yeah. And the other guy who is head of the RMT as well is uh, Eddie Eddie Dempsey. Mm. And both of them, I mean, they are they are getting these such kind of you know deflect these questions which have nothing to do with what's actually going on. Yeah. Um, and every person they're interviewed by, they have to kind of correct and you know mm-hmm. make them understand that they're. I mean, obviously they're trying to push the narrative that it, it's you know what about the what about the rich or what about the what about the people who are, who've got to get a work where it's actually about these people who, you know, they actually want a cost of living um, increase and they don't want to lose all their jobs and the companies are still making millions in profits. And it's, it, it's just unusual to hear these sort of voices on British TV. We, I don't seem to be able to find people like yourself, um, Aaron and Katie and, uh, Max Blumenthal and Jimmy Dore. Um, I don't seem to find these voices in England. Maybe we should have a tour. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that'd be great. I'd love to see you all. Yeah, um, look, I mean, uh, Jeremy Corbyn recently gave an interview to the British outlet Declassified. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he said, he's talking about even The Guardian, which is supposed to be liberal and even progressive. He said, The Guardian is a complete tool of the establishment. Nobody should take it seriously. And, um, yeah, people like him and these labor leaders have just been under this assault, relentless assault from the establishment, including The Guardian, because media now exists to serve the corporate state. That's just what it is. And um, what they did to Jeremy Corbyn, to me, represents the complete corruption of so-called Western democracies. Now they can't tolerate actual Western leaders who would represent democracy. Look at all the effort they made to sabotage Corbyn. Mm-hmm. And they did it by, again, you know, in the, same, in the same way that these labor leaders were treated, not focusing on the issues that Corbyn was talking about and instead trying to smear him as an anti-Semite. And similarly in the U S with Bernie, there was this fake scandal concocted about Bernie bros, that Bernie's movement had a unique mm-hmm. toxicity problem. It's, this is all they can do is try to make this this about individuals and based on false claims about these individuals to distract from the real issues like helping working people. So that is a you know trend across the across both sides of the Atlantic. Yeah. Okay. Well, Jack, thanks for the call. Thank We're gonna you, keep yeah. um, keep it going because we have okay. so many callers left okay. and not enough time. So thank you for the call. Thank you. Okay, Jack. Brady. All right, I'm going to keep it germane and concise just by starting off with two really good um, information sources I consider to be good media. That would be Whitney Webb and James Corbett. I hope that both of you are familiar with both of these people by now. Um, have you all heard of Whitney Webb or James Corbett? Yes. Love them. we got to boost those people up. I'd love to see you all interview them sometime. And I think the number one way that our media failed us recently was I know this is going to sound weird, and this is all media, including us guys, uh, but the Pizzagate issue, I feel like we totally dropped the ball on, especially now with Hunter Biden's laptop and the Epstein scandal going on. I think it's time to reinvestigate, take another look at that situation, because it intricately ties together the elite unelected government who's in charge of all of our leadership. And uh, there's a lot of interesting questions that were 
brought up that I don't have answers to yet. Like what happened to the $30,000 of hot dogs that Obama flew in from Chicago? You know, um, a lot of really interesting and re there's a lot of speculation and nonsense surrounding Pizzagate, but nonetheless, there's a lot of really interesting things like the, the tattoos on Hunter Biden's back. Hunter Biden has tattoos of the finger lakes on his back. And I think we need answers to those questions. Okay. And I think a big solution to kind of get us out of this rut is psychedelics. If we could all use psychedelics, that would help us come up with some creative solutions to all of these ridiculous problems we're in right now. Okay. Well, Brady, thanks for the call. Thank you. Mike, you're next. Well, hi. How are you doing? Good, thanks. <clears throat> I got to follow that. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to throw... Um, a shout out to Rachel because I feel exactly the same about the threat of nuclear war and our, um, <clears throat> our, uh, she was an earlier caller and how the, um, establishment just seems to think it's not a threat. I don't know. It, it's just insane. But, um, another thing I wanted to see, see what your views on it. <clears throat> I mean, you still see the thing that gets me is you still see in the media this, um, how people are attacked for being hypocrites and the hypocrisy is just so beyond belief that you got hypocrites attacking people for being hypocrites, attacking people for being hypocrites. And I mean, it's like, it's like cancel culture. Somebody can get canceled for, you know, a racist remark, but yet Liz Cheney is the, um, is the co-chair of some January 6th commission. I have a friend who's, who's been a big liberal for all his life. And he's like hoping that Liz Cheney runs for president because I mean, she's getting this platform that is just beyond shouldn't, she should not be getting a platform because people are getting a skewed view of who she is. It's just so amazing. But anyway, I just want to know if you guys, thought about that at all so thanks a lot yeah no that's a good reminder i forgot to mention that today when i was going through my you know ritual hateration on january 6 hearings is it's making liz cheney into a hero and it's kind of like solidifying this consensus where you know the liz cheney and adam shifts of the world are like the ones protecting democracy and trump is the only problem yeah no, i mean liz cheney, liz cheney. If you're is worried that, about authoritarianism, she's the exactly. last person you, you want. Exactly. 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 Great point. Thank you, All Mike, right. for the call. Thank okay, you. Sean. All right. Can you hear me pretty good? Yes. I'd like to just echo what uh, what a caller mentioned before. I was uh, having a similar thought. Uh, maybe you need a, a show about the show. The caller was mentioning that, you know, hey, don't waste your time with so-called mainstream media because you guys are too good for that. I mean, he's right. Remember, I don't know if you remember, uh, who was it, Chapo Trap House reviewing uh, young Karl Marx. And they said, you know, why are you wasting, young Karl Marx, why are you wasting your time, you know, with these buffoons that are trying to compete with you intellectually? You know, you're the moral giant of, of your century. And, okay, I'm not saying that you're Karl Marx. But that's like, you know, your audience, like we see you guys as something really exceptional. And yeah, I, I can see where the guy's coming from, where he feels like you're <laughs> debasing yourself by, by discussing these 
you know, after all, all of mainstream media is just PR. It's just, it's bullshit. It's all bullshit. And for you guys to be, to have entire shows dedicated to bullshit, you know, compared to how, like, how priceless your integrity is, it's, it's jarring. It's, it's a jarring disconnect. Like, you don't, you can't imagine a cancer researcher discussing what, uh, you know, what the National Association of Tobacco Growers is talking about. Right? Uh, yeah, That's, look, I think, that, I think where that guy's coming from. Okay, I, I, yeah, I got it. And, and I appreciate the, the kind words. I think we're thinking this, we're overthinking this a little bit too much here. We're just doing a parody show. It's funny. We're making fun of mainstream narratives and propaganda or corporate narratives propaganda. I think that's a, that's a good yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. But I'm talking about where we're coming from, like the audience. I got it. I think. I got it. Yes. Well, that's why we give you useful idiots the regular show, where we <laughs> also do something and also talk about our own thoughts and stuff and interview people. Yeah. True. Okay. May I get a short, quick point? Just 20 yeah. seconds. Sure. I think that something that is worth looking into as a, actually it's more of a tactic than a strategy to get change, to achieve change is for, is, is to simply attempt to peacefully block major interstates in their connections with major airports. Now, generally you can't really do that. You know, I mean, 5,000 people could, but where are you going to get 5,000 people that don't mind going to jail for a day? But, you know, 500 people could, and maybe 500 teenagers that are not going to get put, you know, locked into major jail could bring to to social justice slash environmental activism what young kids did in the civil rights. All right, that's my comment. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Okay. Uh, and David is next and possibly our final caller because we, we have to wrap this up. All right, David, you're up. Hey, can you guys hear me okay? Yes. Yeah. Hey, um, first time caller, long time listener. Um, so uh, a previous caller mentioned third parties. And, um, you know, I, I've seen uh, so much just outright corruption firsthand. Um, you know, I used to live in New York. We got, um, I was on the Stony Point Democrats. We got this young politician named James Goofus elected into the uh, New York Senate before we, you know, volunteered for him and went door knocking and all that stuff. We actually got him or I asked him point blank, you know, will you support the New York Health Act for, you know, single payer health care for New York? And he said, you know, I co-sponsored the bill in the House, which to me meant yes. Right. He gets elected. He doesn't co-sponsor in the Senate, the New York Health Act. I've, I've seen so many things like that. And, um, you know, looking at the, the uh, airline crisis right now, you know, that should be the easiest layup. You know, we, they've, they've fined airlines in the past. This is not rocket science. But, you know, if, if they would actually fix something like that, right, it, it's the easiest political win. There's no reason for them not to do it other than being totally corrupt. So um, ha, are you guys familiar with the Represent Us movement at all? Have you ever heard of it? No. I haven't, no. Okay. You you guys might want to look them up. Um, so it's a national movement. It's based on um, trying to get 
uh, this anti-corruption act legislation passed uh, in cities and localities than than in states. So, um, for example, in South Dakota, they actually got a ballot initiative for the anti-corruption act, and it actually you know passed. The voters uh, uh, passed it, you know, through ballot uh, initiative. And then the South Dakota legislature declared a state of emergency to repeal it, um, which is just so amazing to me. But anyway, look into them. I think um, it. I've never actually seen any of the leaders be interviewed on any of the lefty media. I think that they might be a really interesting interview. Um, also, if you guys look up Honest Gil Fulbright, I think your sense of humor, you'll you'll like this uh, effort. So when one of the years Mitch McConnell was running for re-election, it was the most lobbied, most expensive campaign, you know, absorbed the most campaign money in the country. And it was something obscene. I forget what the number was. But represent us launched a campaign for their own sort of parody care candidate named Honest Gil Fulbright. And they made a bunch of ads and they played them. I think, it, is he Kansas or Kentucky? I, I never remember. Um, anyway, uh, there's a whole, if you look on YouTube, there's a whole playlist of Honest Gil Fulbright videos. I think, I think you guys would love them. Um, anyway. Uh, so represent us. I, I, I think it's represent worth looking into. Gilford, right. Okay, cool. Thanks. Anyway, keep up the great work. Appreciate it. Thanks for the call, David. David. And we're going to have to wrap it there. Sorry to everybody we didn't get to today. Hopefully we can get you next time. Okay. Come back next, next time. time. Use com. Oh, before I forget, they, they're also pushing yeah. uh, ranked choice voting. Uh, oh, that's great. Yeah. So, Got it. Thanks, David. So usefulness.substack.com for bonus content, and we'll be back here next time. Thanks, everyone. Have a great Bye, everybody. Bye.